Like, Anthony Davis should be the best player in the world. But, like, he doesn't have that killer mentality. Everybody's not built like that. Kenny talked about it when he talked about, uh, remember you talked about Siakam last series? Well, yes, there's a skill set, but then there's a mindset. There's a skill set and a mindset. Anthony Davis is just a nice guy who's a great player. Welcome to another episode of Splash Considerations. My name is Justice De Los Santos, joined by the Massimo of Moxie himself, Rory O'Toole. Rory, I got to start by asking, is Charles Championship Chuck Barkley the greatest jinxer of all time? Or is he the greatest jinxer of all time? Yeah, I'm like, who's in the competition with him at this point? Who, Me. who do we have? <laughs> Yo, rewind the tape to Justice's guarantee, please. It's been a minute since we recorded, but if y'all remember the last time me and Rory specifically recorded the podcast, I gave a a guarantee that the Clippers would beat the Nuggets. And what happened? Twitter exploded. That's what happened. That was your most Kendrick Perkins moment. That felt more like Kendrick Perkins than Charles Barkley. Now you got Paul George um, making hoorah-rah chants in the locker room and everybody basically giving him the, the oh, brother, this guy stinks from SpongeBob. That was <laughs> completely ignoring him. Sam's really just threw him under the bus. He's like, yeah, everyone just rolled their eyes. And- oh, brother, this guy stinks! I love how some of this insider reporting that Woj and Shams do sometimes reads like fan fiction. Oh, it, it always they reads get like these details. ridiculous gotta love it though but unless you've been sleeping under a rock you know why we're here the los angeles lakers won last night 105 103 anthony davis hits the game winning three-pointer at the buzzer with no time left yelled out kobe while wearing the black mamba jerseys and rory this was an amazing shot if the lakers win the championship this is probably going to be one of their signature moments but if the Denver Nuggets get bounced, I want to I want to turn over to the Denver Nuggets here because if the Denver Nuggets get bounced, this is going to be one of the moments that the masses in Colorado look at because Rory, we got to discuss how this play even materialized. We got to discuss how Are we Anthony going right Davis, into it? We going right. Yeah, we're into jumping it. right into it. We got to discuss how Anthony Davis, who finished with 22 second half points, was carrying the Lakers Ooh. in the second half how the best player on the floor in that second half got a wide open. If this was 2K, it would have been A-plus shot quality, excellent release, all green, everything. We need to discuss how this happened. (laughs) We got to discuss the play that had NBA film Twitter going crazy. Now, Rory, we all know how NBA Twitter, just NBA Twitter in and of itself, there's a lot of different sub-branches. You've got the meme pages got the insiders there's a lot of different branches but the one part of nba twitter that you never really see blowing up like that's nba film twitter you got the the, what as you uh put it the ato twitter you never really see them blowing up but yesterday it was it was a great night for nba film Twitter. this was their moment this was their moment to finally shine and break it down for all of us because it was inexplicable why plumley left anthony davis to flare out to the left wing, get that three, and he was left literally pointing at his man. So people were like, I need this explained. And all the wannabe coaches out there (laughs) had plenty of explanations. Now we can get into the specifics and the granular details of moment by moment what was going on, but Oh, yeah, there's a lot to break down in these two. There's a lot. Just to preface this, though, this is not Plumlee's first time messing up like this. As was also pointed out on Twitter, or maybe in The Athletic, this, when Kuzma hit a, was it a buzzer beater? It It was a buzzer beater from the right wing. Yeah, Plumlee was the man guarding him and lost him, so. It was another, yeah, it was, just to contextualize that, it was another situation where, Plumley was chasing after Kuzma and basically when he was right under the rim, he just stopped. And I think he was under the assumption that someone else was going to go get Kuzma and no one did. And then Kuzma hit the game winner. Yeah. And Plumley was specifically subbed in for this play. For yeah. Let's start, let's start there because, prowess. <laughs> because if you notice, if you notice who's on the floor right now and 
I apologize that we can't actually show the video alongside with this, but just kind of go with us here. So if you'll notice who's on the floor right now, I'll just I'll count out the names. On the Lakers, you have Rajon Rondo, LeBron James, Anthony Davis, Danny Green, and Contavious Caldwell-Pope. For the Nuggets, Nikola Jokic, Jeremy Grant, P.J. Dozier. We'll get to him later down the show. Jamal Murray and Mason Plumlee. Paul Millsap was in this game just a second ago. And they subbed in Mason Plumlee specifically for the purpose of guarding Anthony Davis. Now, you noted before we started recording that it appeared that Jeremy Grant and Mason Plumlee appeared to communicate something before this play went down. Essentially, we think the ball is going to LeBron. If the ball goes to LeBron, peel away from Davis and try to contest or get in the way of LeBron's shot. That was sort of, I assume, what the gist of that conversation was. Because here's the thing, too, and, and we'll get to this. This explanation is going to kind of jump around from like before the shot to during the shot. It's going to jump around a little bit. But if you see where Anthony Davis ends up hitting that shot, it's on the strong side. And LeBron's on the strong side, too, on the strong side elbow. So even if that pass somehow makes its way to LeBron, Plumlee is right there on the strong side. Or technically, like when this possession starts off, he's on the weak side, technically. But he's like two steps from LeBron. So if that ball does go to LeBron, he's like two steps and then he's right there. I think it's interesting that they thought Plumlee was the man to either cut off LeBron or follow Anthony Davis. I... Like, Anthony Davis is very tall. LeBron James is very tall. So I get the size, why you want a Plumlee there, to get a good contest. But as far as the foot speed and just dynamic movement, that's asking a lot of Plumlee, I think, to say, okay, if LeBron gets the ball, we're going to need you to get over here as fast as you can. If Davis gets the ball, we need you to contest. And he, there's two seconds on the clock, so he's probably going to make a move and you need to stick with him. I will say in defense of Miles Plumley or Mason Plumley, you don't have a situation where big men are running off screens like this. That's true. That is true. But I just think it's interesting to ask Plumley to have two jobs, essentially, in this scenario. So, all right, so let's actually, let's, let's break down this play. So you have Rajon Rondo inbounding. You have LeBron on at the left elbow. Rondo gets the ball. You have Nikola Jokic kind of jumping Can around. Break down? Can we break down? Jokic does a ridiculous hop in front of Rondo. several. He's kind of like flailing around. He's yeah, done this a couple times when he's jumping up and down. But I forgot, I forgot who said it, but someone was like, Jokic couldn't jump over a $1 bill. I think it was Jeff Van Gundy that said that. And then you got Jokic over here hopping around, trying to... So already that's just in eyesight. If I'm Mike Malone, I'm like, this is not how I envision this defensive possession. So once the ball is inbounded to Rondo, Anthony Davis makes a beeline. Already. He makes a beeline for the left wing. And there is a ton of space between Anthony Davis and Plumlee. Essentially, he's already won the battle for the angle and to the spot. He's, won, he's already won the race to the spot. Which so is- as, as Davis continues to go down to sprint to the left wing, as soon as he kind of gets to this top of the key area, top of the key to the left wing area here, Plumlee calls out a switch for Jeremy Grant. But the thing is, LeBron never sets a screen, which means if – that's the case and you're asking for a switch, there would be no real reason for Jeremy Grant to switch because there was no actual screen set. So then that's how you get into the situation where Jeremy Grant is stuck on LeBron, his assignment. Plumlee is calling out for a screen that never happened. And then once the ball is inbounded, Jokic, he darts over as quick as Jokic can possibly dart over. He actually puts up a good contest. Like Jokic, Jokic gets there. And I will give him credit because that is not his man either. But what you could have had was a situation where if that's the pass that was made, Plumlee could have been right there tagging along, like sprinting alongside of him. So now you've got someone coming in from your right side. Then you got another white jersey coming over from your left side. And then that's a really good contest. Yeah, funnel That's all you would ask for in terms of a defensive possession on right. out of timeout with 2.1 seconds left. Yeah, I think the Nuggets are thinking here, first of all, that LeBron's going to get the ball. 
It's a surprise. A good assumption. Like a valid assumption. And Rondo, being the smart player that he is, he reads it. He's, he's, he doesn't have tunnel vision where he's like, I'm just going to pass it to LeBron. He actually scans the floor, sees Davis, passes it to him. But I think the Nuggets were thinking, okay, if it goes to LeBron, Plumlee, and Grant, and maybe even Jokic, depending on the move LeBron makes, can just overwhelm him and contest his shot. If it's Davis – Plumley, follow him. Maybe we can funnel him into the corner because Jokic is already down there. Grant can peel off from LeBron in that case, and Plumley will be right behind him, trailing. Instead, by him essentially seeding the that side of the floor to Anthony Davis puts all the Nuggets in a bad position because Grant can't leave LeBron. Jokic has to sprint all the way from Rondo to Davis. And yes, he makes a good contest, but you can see Davis has already loaded up the shot very comfortably. He got low, got like perfect, perfect form, everything you want from a shot. He is contested a little bit, but with his length, it's really not going to bother him that much. Jokic isn't getting up that high. Yeah. Jokic, man plays in flip-flops when he's out there. So (laughs) it's just... And the thing about Plumlee, too, is if he can't really cut off LeBron if Grant leaves. And then yeah, because LeBron if we, can just dart to the basket, and that's an easy layup or a foul for him. Yeah, because if we, if we go back about, like, a second before that ball gets passed, the moment in which Plumlee appears to be asking for a screen or, or a switch, if Grant was to switch entirely there – Plumley wouldn't have a route to cut off LeBron. PJ no. Dozier, PJ Dozier's under the basket, but yeah. he wouldn't be in a position to cut off LeBron either. Because Danny Green is right under the basket. If he leaves Danny Green, and then if you, and then the thing too is, if Jamal Murray, who's on the weak side, sees that and he has to cut off LeBron, now all of a sudden you have an opening for Kentavious Caldwell Pope on the weak side. Now that would probably be a very difficult pass just because of where Rondo is positioned. But it wouldn't have made any logistical sense for Jeremy Grant as much coverage as he's putting on LeBron in this moment to just completely abandon him on a switch because then that compromises everybody else on the floor. And you still got Anthony Davis to worry yeah. about. Even like, so yeah, and, and I'll, again, I want to reiterate that I do understand that Plumlee is not used to having to chase someone off screens. Like if this was if this was a point guard trying to chase around Curry. Again, not a screen though. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we okay, need to, it is the thing. not a screen. LeBron, it functions sort of like a screen because LeBron is literally just standing there and getting held by Grant. So he's sort it's like he's setting a pick, but he's clearly not. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and so and there's I will nothing to, to run around. He takes the worst angle. He runs toward the elbow instead of trailing Davis around the perimeter. Right? Yeah, like he runs to LeBron. <laughs> like the second, that I saw, like, LeBron. the second I saw all that space, like when I was re-watching this and I was like, and I saw the amount of space that Davis had, I was like, okay, yeah, it's no wonder that he hit the shot. Like when you're kind of watching it in full speed, like I try not to watch the ball, but I was like, I was just caught up in the moment. I'm just watching the ball and seeing like, oh, there's Davis. He's got the shot off. But then re- I rewatched it how many times since then i'm like oh man that play was it was doomed from the start yeah and i mean my initial reaction was like oh wow davis is like they oh he's shooting the three. Oh, it went in like i was just not expecting that i was definitely expecting a lebron like fadeaway jumper from the elbow or something some LeBron he, he did say that that play was initially for lebron yeah and i can't really tell what the play was gonna be for him there I would assume it was if Davis doesn't come cutting over, then just get get that ball to LeBron and have him fade. Do the LeBronto fadeaway? Yeah, that's what I like. That's what I assume. Because if you get it to LeBron with two point one seconds left, that's enough time for him to get up a decent shot. That's interesting. I mean, we're sort of isolated on that side of the floor. If I would assume that. Well, if we if we kind of go back, I would assume that once Rondo had the ball and Jeremy Grant was applying as much pressure on LeBron that he was, Davis kind of recognized it and he's like, oh. Well, even like the second that Rondo gets the ball here, 
you can already see that there's a lot of space between Davis and Plumlee. Yeah, there's already. There's already before Davis. He's already sagging. Moves. He's sagging because he's expecting LeBron. His <laughs> doom from it was doomed from the start. Oh my god. It, yeah, that play was it was doomed from the start. If I'm, I apologize to like any Nuggets fans who for like the last 15 minutes you just had to relive this painful moment. <laughs> No, but it's like it really is like it's one thing to lose by a buzzer beater, but they essentially shot themselves in the foot here because there's no way this is what Mike Malone told Plumlee to do. And this is what happens sometimes when players get on the floor, like you alluded to. Grant said something to Plumlee like, hey, just have my back in case anything happens. That sometimes it's just just do what the coach said. Don't try to game plan yourself. Because this is what happens sometimes. You don't think it all the way through. It's like, yeah, if you're so focused on LeBron, you're going to forget about Davis and he's going to be wide open. It is Granted, Anthony Davis for three, is you're not expecting that. No one's expecting that. Yeah, because if you just isolate on the way that, on what Anthony Davis is doing as a seven-footer, that's just a testament to who he is. Oh, it's amazing. The speed he has just to get around. Like, he's looking like a shooting guard going around a flare screen. Like, <laughs> yeah, like the athleticism. Men are the, not supposed to move like that. They're the athleticism just... to, to catch, turn, rise, and shoot as a seven footer, you're not supposed to do that. <laughs> and I feel like we've been kind of numb to that evolution of the big man. We kind of expect everyone on the floor to be a dynamic athlete. And that, like, kind of gets in the way of us fully appreciating what Anthony Davis did on this play. This is. Insane. If you showed this to a basketball fan 10 years ago, even, they'd be like, what the hell? How tall is he? You have the what duality. position does he play? You have what? the duality of the league's two best big men where you have Anthony Davis making this super, like, sprinting over, like, using his athleticism think, to, like, square up towards the rim, rise and, sh- and fire. And then you have just Jokic. Think, think of the context of, I mean, Davis doesn't even call himself a center. He calls himself a power forward. Same with, Tim, same with Tim Duncan, right? Tim Duncan was the same way, where he never wanted to play center. He always called himself a power forward, even though he was effectively a center. Is Tim Duncan going to move like this 10 years ago? No. I don't know. There's if, no way. There's I'm no... trying to think, like, Tim Duncan in his, like, prime of prime had the movement to do what Anthony Davis did, but he didn't. I don't think he could move like He didn't have the jumper to do what he did. I don't even think he could move like Davis, though. Oh, let's put some respect on Tim Duncan. Like, that, that kind of explosion, though? Let's not remember let, – let's not forget just how much of a beast Tim Duncan was in his prime. I was – No, no, I – he was a beast not because he was running around like a gazelle like Anthony Davis is here. It's because he was drop-stepping you to death. He had, a little, he had a little bit of gazelle in him. He had a little bit. Wow. Gazelle and Tim Duncan, I would not put together. That's not the – Watch some of it. We gotta after this. We are gonna watch some Wake Forest highlights. We gonna watch all his highlights when he was at Wake Forest. But I do want to get just just for fun. I want to analyze like the reactions, the react like the various stages of reactions that go down. Because so, the shot goes up, Anthony Davis makes it. Rajon Rondo's like right under the rim. He's not faced at all. He's like, oh yeah. Like his reaction, if you just isolated on him, you'd be like, oh. We lost. The game, like, Anthony Davis missed the shot. The game is over. The ball takes one bounce, and then P.J. Dozier volleyball spikes the hell out of it. And apparently he spikes it to the media. <laughs> like, it ends up in, like, the media scrum. Oh, that's great. Danny Green's over here, like, arms fully extended, like, thank you, Jesus. Everybody's running everybody run around, meets at half court. Talon Horton Tucker gets bodied, <laughs> ends up on the floor. And then you got you got the scrum. You got that picture of Frank Vogel, who's like looking at Anthony Davis like the proud, like a proud mom. He's just like got that little grimace of a smile. And then you got Dwight Howard, who like after the celebration, he like goes over to like he starts looking over at Denver, and he's I forgot what he was saying, but he he had some choice words for him. You have J.R. Smith over here in the scrum, who's just like he's he's like the one dude who has removed himself from the scrum to celebrate by himself. <laughs> Uh, it's an amazing it's an amazing zoom scene. background reactions are great the fans if you go back to when the ball hit goes through the net mike malone has his arms up and then as soon as the ball goes through the net they go on his head and just dismay 
Look at look at the arms up and then not on the head. <laughs> he makes that he makes a perfect transition from like keeping them high to just like oh oh boy oh, no. he's I really subbed in plumly. Also, Michael Porter Jr. looks dead inside, <laughs> completely dejected. Like someone just told him he got vaccinated. He's just really disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> and it was fun. It was the la- the last thing I want to get before transitioning to like the you know the game as a whole and not just this two point one second segment of it was Anthony Davis in the post-game interview said something along the lines of Rondo made eye contact with me. And then Rajon Rondo in the post-game pressure was like, I'm pretty sure I made eye contact with everybody. <laughs> um, I think I made every, eye, eye contact with every player on my team that played. <laughs> it's like a perfect, like, Zach Greinke comment. I think this has been such a good series for Rondo, right? This entire this, playoffs. This entire playoffs. Validating, like, the playoff dough. Yeah, I mean, even his brothers getting into it, antagonizing Westbrook, coming out on top of that. Rondo's hitting threes out here, looking like, you know, what was it, the 2012 playoffs when he went for like he 43 three against three Miami? Quarter. Yeah. I can't remember exactly when, but I just remember Rondo hitting a clutch three when I was re-watching. And I was like, oh, I didn't know Rondo had I that. will say well, this, is, this is yet another – chapter in the rondo anthony davis playoff magic if you remember when they were on the pelicans together against the blazers when they swept portland they had some amazing just pick and roll chemistry where he was just throwing alley-oops and lobs to anthony davis and that was a fantastic partnership and this was a tnt game correct yep tnt rondo it's a real thing. When you combine playoff, like Rondo on the biggest stage, it's it's a weird thing with him. I don't know what it is. Because it's easy for him. You know, he's <laughs> he's smarter than most coaches. He's smarter than damn near every player not named LeBron. And he just sees the game so easily that it's kind of boring for him the regular season. He'd rather be playing Connect Four, you know, challenging himself. <laughs> I mean, you got to think that, like, if he was putting forth this effort throughout the the entirety of the regular season, maybe Rondo's in that Hall of Fame discussion. Because right now, not so much. Oh, great no. point guard. Hall of Fame discussion. Mm. I don't think so. I don't, I don't know. So. He's also but, burned every bridge in the media, so that's tough. Every in the media and basically every team, every coach. <laughs> but I think it is very it is very appropriate that Anthony Davis was the one hit this game-winning shot just because of how well he was playing in the second half overall. And it was basically a tale of two halves for both LeBron and Anthony Davis. Just to read off some numbers, in the first half, Anthony Davis has nine points on three of ten shooting, while LeBron has 20 points on eight of 11 in shooting. And then in the second half, well, before getting into the second half, you had Charles Barkley at the half who was basically saying, he's kind of throwing shade at Anthony Davis in a way, saying, like, you're the best player on the floor. Like, do you kind of have that, that it factor? Do you have it? And then as if Anthony Davis was watching the TNT halftime show, he goes for 22 points in the second half, including that game winner, eight of 13 from the field, two of three from three, four, four from the line, along with three rebounds and assists and a block. But LeBron, he was, he kind of faded down the stretch. He had six points, two of nine shooting, 0 for four on three. I believe he airballed one three at one point down the stretch as well. But the big number that really caught my attention was the four turnovers. And I guess this is like, we've seen it throughout the entire season. We've seen it in the playoffs. We've seen it in the reseeding games. But this is where that formula of having two of the top five players in the game, even when they didn't have that depth that the Clippers had, this is where that really takes center stage. What's interesting about the shot too is I was reading – that's actually his weakest spot on the floor is the left wing behind the perimeter. He'd only hit uh, one of eight on those threes from the left wing before game two. And then with – he had a, a step back. I don't know if you remember that shot. There was like 320 left in the game. I think it was 94-90. And he hit a step back like he's James Harden. Hit that from the same spot. And then obviously, oh, yeah, that was the shot right before Jokic went on his own personal run. Yeah. He hit that shot with 303 left in the fourth. Like, we're talking about a center stepping back 
into the left wing. That's his weakest spot on the floor. Because other than that, Davis has been unbelievable. They have a 117.2 offensive rating, 102.3 defensive rating when he's out there. So they've been outscoring opponents 131 points in his 421 minutes. Best plus minus among all playoff players. He's got 65 made shots in the restricted area. Only Giannis and LeBron have more. He also is shooting 50% from the mid-range. 25 and 43 mid-range, 16 and feet out. And the Nuggets are being told to give him that space, right? Give him the mid-range. Or just defensive philosophy these days, give up the mid-range. He's killing 50, 50% from there. I don't know what you do with Anthony Davis at this point. He's stepping back into threes now. His confidence is at an all-time high. Obviously, he's deadly in the basket. Now he's hitting mid-range jumpers like he's 98 Michael Jordan. And the thing I, is, when, if, when you they're going to win the series if he keeps playing like this. It's, just, it's that simple. It's that the thing simple. is, when you hit those mid-range jumpers too, that, op- that makes defenses more susceptible to fall for that pump fake. And they also panic because it's like that is breaking the code, the algorithm of NBA defenses. <laughs> like, that's a virus. We don't know what to do with this. And LeBron is deadly himself from the mid-range. So, I mean, if they're going to be hitting from the places you're taught to give up as a defender, that is sort of like the poison that I I don't even think the Nuggets can overcome as well as their defense has improved since they've been in the bubble and been in the playoffs. I just don't think Jokic is going to be able to stick with Davis on the elbows and follow him down to underneath the basket. And he's going to flare out for three now. He's shown he can do it. I don't, that's impossible. And I know that a lot has been said about this being his first conference finals appearance. And a lot has been said about this is his first playoff appearance where there's legitimate expectation on him to perform. For Davis? Back when, back when he, uh, back with Davis. Because back when he was with the Pelicans, his first playoff run, that was against the 2015 Warriors. And the Warriors were the best team in the West. They won 67 games. There wasn't oh, really an expectation yeah. that like, Anthony Davis was going to will them as an eight seed to that series win. And then you had the series against Portland in, I believe, 2017, where they don't have DeMarcus Cousins. They're the sixth seed? I believe They were the sixth seed. Yes. And without DeMarcus Cousins as the sixth seed, they just go in. He plays phenomenally, and they sweep the Trailblazers. Obviously, they get, I think it's a, a five-game series against the Warriors in not, the next round. Not just phenomenally. People were having conversations. Is Anthony Davis now the best player in the NBA? He played that well. It was that undeniable. People were like, this might be, like, the top guy over Giannis, Harden, all the people who you thought were right under LeBron, Steph Curry included. I think it is going to be in the off season, depending on how these next couple of weeks go. It's going to be a very interesting conversation in regards to AD and kind of linking him with Giannis in particular, because I feel as whenever there's conversations about who's, who's top five right now, I feel like Giannis and AD always kind of get linked together. So I think that, especially considering how Giannis got bounced early, I know he was injured in game five, but considering how that, whole thing happened and considering how well Anthony Davis has been playing he's a much more well-rounded player than Giannis and these playoffs showed that I think they both offered they have various things that they could bring to the table obviously Giannis being the far more yeah. athletic one and how like he can it's crazy to say with Anthony Davis. <laughs> yeah it's like it's like oh yeah Giannis far and away more athletic Giannis than is just Davis. an alien like it's truly insane yeah, getting back to the, the, the point about how this is his first conference finals, if this is his first conference finals, this is one hell of a way to introduce yourself on this stage. You go for 31, 31 and 9 in just your second career conference finals game, hit the game-winning shot. In game one, he goes for 37, 10, and 4. Ooh. Ooh. To compliment to the point where like LeBron only needed to have 15 points in that game one victory. We, we, if, we, if we kind of go back to last year just to in terms of that discussion of like 
who was the best player in the game in terms of that conversation. If we go back to last year and how Kevin Durant's performance before he was injured really propelled him to – a lot of people had him propelled to that number one spot. That's why I'm kind of curious as to where Anthony Davis is going to end up for a lot of people. Because for me personally, when I'm ranking players, I always have the playoffs in mind. Just because you can like, – it's kind of the James Harden thing. You can get your numbers in the regular season, but if those numbers or if that impact isn't translating to the postseason, it's kind of like the playoffs are a different sport. So what was all that – like what was the point of what you just did in the regular season if not – for it translating in the postseason. That's why I'm so curious as to how some of these conversations are going to unfold and see exactly what impact that he makes for the rest of this round and potentially the finals. I think it's interesting too, because in the lead up to game one, there was that whole thing with LeBron where he said he's pissed off because he didn't win MVP. And he tweeted that, Oh, I only got 16 votes for first place. This is a joke. So he kind of brought the attention to himself as who's the best player. But like you said, it might be AD at this point with the way he's playing. Like you said, LeBron actually faded. He was not playing well. If Davis doesn't hit that shot, I think we're talking about one Jokic. How are the Lakers going to stop Jokic? Because he was sort of the hero of game two prior to that shot. And James, his troubles. Like AD was picking up LeBron this game. And to me, that sort of says, I still think LeBron's the best player, especially when it matters, matters. But Anthony Davis is damn close. If you can pick up LeBron in a game two and not miss a step, and like you said, game one, he only has to score 15 points. That's as good a case as any that you're going to have. It kind of reminds me of the Shaq-Kobe dynamic a little later in their Lakers career where it's like, yeah, Shaq is the better player on especially when it matters but Kobe has that x factor to him and it's almost like you'd rather have Kobe than Shaq you'd rather have Anthony Davis and LeBron right now not just because of the age thing but just where they are at as players it's gonna be pretty great when Anthony Davis joins the Nuggets and forms a dynasty there that's all I'm saying (laughs) (laughs) or the Celtics you never know all I'm oh, saying man. is, like, no, Anthony, Davis, Anthony Davis can form, like, a new dynasty in free agency. That's Bill another Sim- conversation. His <laughs> jokes. His jokes. Bill Simmons just uh, followed the podcast after that Celtics. <laughs> <laughs> but you did allude to Jokic, and I do want to get into Jokic's performance down the stretch because I felt as if early in this game he was kind of being a little passive when it came to getting his own shot, especially because he got switched on to smaller defenders a lot in the first half he did attack them more in the second half but you alluded to Anthony Davis's step back knocks that down with three minutes and three seconds to go that puts the Lakers up 100 to 92 and that's when Jokic goes on his personal I believe it's it's an 11-2 run he has a tough little rainbow jumper over Caruso he he badly missed well he gets fouled by Howard so that's two more points right there that's a personal 4-0 run he badly misses a mid-range jumper. Like, he pump fakes the three, steps in, and he hits it off, like, the side of the backboard, no rim. So that's, that's part of the run, but not a memorable part of that little run. Yeah. Ron turns it over. Then Jokic knocks down a three. Now it's 199. So now it's a personal 7-0 run. KCP misses a three-pointer. Then you get that – then with about, like, 45 seconds, you have that weird possession where P.J. Dozier holds onto the ball for, like, 19 seconds – like runs around, Jamal Murray's scrambling. He has to throw up an air ball, but then Jokic is right there to tip it in. That puts them up by one with about 26.7 seconds left. You have Anthony Davis who hits that go-ahead floater with about 20 seconds left. And then right out of the timeout, Jokic goes straight into the post on Anthony Davis, first team all NBA, second team all defense, and just bullies this man. Or actually, is that right? Was he second team all defense? Anthony Davis? Was he first team? He had to be first team, right? Uh, because I remember, I remember either Reggie or any, anyway, he was, he was all defense. He goes straight into Anthony Davis's chest. Nice little hook shot puts the nuggets up by two by one in, in a span a of three shot. minutes. Jokic went on a personal 11 2 run. And this was before that he went on that run. This was one of those games when I was looking at Jokic and I was like, 
I need you to like attack more. Like he was getting to the line. Like he got, I think he got up like 14 free throws. But I said in the last podcast, I said that if the Nuggets wanted to win this series, this was going to have to be a series where Jokic averages like 30 points because the Lakers like to switch everything. He's going to get a lot of mismatches with either be Caruso, Danny Green, Catavius Caldwell Pope. And even if not for the mismatches, like as we saw in that last possession, that what would have been the go-ahead shot, he has no trouble against big men. You know he's going to bait JaVale McGee. Dwight Howard was giving him some troubles, but even like trying with at least in regard to physicality. But even against Dwight Howard, he shot like he put up a decent amount of points on Dwight. I'm forgetting the number right now, but this was as you mentioned, this was very close to being the Nikola Jokic game, specifically how he asserted himself down the stretch. And I think just to pass this over to you and get it because it's Jokic, it's <laughs> Jokic's passing and Jokic's ability to find his teammates. I consider it to be, and this is, this is an original thought, but I consider it to be his greatest strength and his greatest weakness. Because there's, there's a lot of points when I see him getting switched onto someone that's smaller and I'm thinking just attack them. Like right. I know Caruso's kind of scrappy. I know Rondo's got the quick hands with the long wingspan. But if you just turn around and fire over that little rainbow, like no one's blocking that shot. If Anthony Davis can't block that little rainbow three-pointer, no, no one is blocking that shot. Yeah, I'm glad you bring this point up because that is, I think even for the Nuggets coaching staff, something that frustrates them. It frustrates everyone around the NBA because, like, you see him go on that tear. You are like, this dude could score 40 if he wanted to. But the way Jokic operates is – he really likes to be in the flow of the game and not just go decide, I'm just going to go shoot. He wants to, like, take what the defense gives him. And he'll be like, yeah, there's a smaller guy on me. But I actually see Gary Harris flared out for three. I'm going to pass it to him. I see Grant open in the Duncan spot. I'll drop it off to him. Like, he's always scanning the floor. And like you said, it is his weakness in a way because – I think the Lakers, they want him to be passing it. They kind of want to bait him into leaning into his play style, which is sharing the ball. Because if Gary Harris and Grant and even Dozier, even though he played well, if those are the people who are shooting and getting the ball, that's a win for the Lakers' defense. Because they have an answer for those guys. They do not have an answer for Jokic. But I, I don't know... If Jokic is really capable of saying, you know what, I'm just going to go 2,000 Shaq right now. And just every time I touch the ball, I'm either getting fouled or I'm getting a bucket. And, and I'm going to shoot it 30 times. I, uh, you know, it's and not the, really thing with, the thing with Jokic, too, is that it's beautiful basketball. Like, that's exactly what you would want, you want out of your star player. Right. Like, I'm just, I'm just looking at my notes from, like, specific plays that I had bookmarked in regards to this point. And there was a play in the second quarter where Jokic is getting double teamed. He finds Gary Harris on the weak side for a wide open three pointer and it's a bucket. But then in that same vein, it happened. I made a note of it. This happened again where Danny green got switched onto Jokic and Jokic passed out to Jeremy Grant in the corner. And I think they ended up not making, getting a point, getting a bucket on that possession. And Jeremy Grant, decent three point shooter. But if you're Jokic, you're seven feet, you know, slim Jokic, thick Jokic, whatever you want to say. He's this man is gonna body whoever in the post. Yeah, I'm just like it. Kind of reminds me of it's kind of that Steph thing, in a sense where I was gonna say you know that Steph like if he was just given that green light or if he gave himself that personal green light, he's he's admitted it himself, right? He's yeah, like, and no, that's I his thing. He wants to get everybody else involved in the flow of the offense. But I feel like with if, if we're sticking on Jokic, I feel like there has to come a point, especially when there were points when the Nuggets were down. That's right. when I was really like, okay, Jokic, you really need to just get a Because Steph, right Steph has recognized those moments where it's like Rockets, game six, 20, 2018 to 2019. It's like, you got to put the team on your back right now. This is like, we demand this of you. Like, yeah, you play this certain way, but the playoffs are about adjusting and adapting your game to the moment. And when you see that your team needs you and they just don't have anything left in the tank, it's going to be up to you. You have to take that moment. I do wonder 
how much of this has to do with conditioning? And I'm not saying that Jokic is in bad shape. I don't think he's Joel Embiid right now. But it is exhausting to attack every possession. It really is. And Jokic is also being asked to defend Anthony Davis, which is taking a huge amount out of him. I, I don't know say if he the, has the energy for that. I really don't. I will say the, the difference between a Jokic compared to and Embiid, is that if Jokic gets switched on to a smaller defender, you don't need that much energy to, fi- to rise and fire with that rainbow jumper. <laughs> True, but even, even the little guys in the playoffs, their friskiness does wear on you. It's like a fly buzzing in your ear. It's like you can kill it, but it's annoying, and it's sort of exhausting to constantly deal with. A stat that I do want to throw at you that was pointed out by David Four is that the Nuggets or the Lakers outscored the Nuggets 19 to 2 in the 3 minutes and 46 seconds that Jamal Murray was sitting. Now, that was definitely due to like some luck. Like I doubt that the Nuggets would fall that behind in whatever amount of time that Jamal Murray sits going forward. But that's kind of where I'm at in that when Murray sits, they don't have that secondary like true secondary score. You do have Michael Porter Jr. who like the thing with Michael Porter Jr. is I, I'm not even saying this to be mean. Like, I'm not saying this as an insult. Like, this is just based on me watching game two again. I really don't think there was a, a possession where Michael Porter Jr. passed out after getting the ball in the half court. Like, I'm not talking about, oh, he rebounded the ball and then passed it to someone else. I mean, once the Nuggets get into their half court set and Michael Porter Jr. got the ball, I don't think he passed it. <laughs> No. I mean, it goes back to his comment where he's like, I need to get the ball or like, we need to get, think outside of Jokic and Murray. That was essentially saying, I need to shoot more. Like we need to get me the ball. That's the way he thinks it's, you can call it ball hoggery, but to him, he's like, I'm the best option on the floor. And a lot of the times he is like, is he really going to look at Gary Harris, PJ Dozier, Grant, Plumlee, uh, Morris, there's no Will Barton out there. They're really missing Will Barton right now, I think. Who, oh, yeah. Not, uh, like, he was a reliable guy off the bench. He'd been in some six-man-of-the-year conversations in the years past. The thrillist. He can create his own shot. None of those other people I mentioned can really create their own shot. Morris sometimes a little bit. He's, he's got a little float game, too. I actually really like his game. But Porter is sort of their best option as a third scorer right now as far as just someone creating their own shot. and But it's not good. And he's so bad on defense, Porter. Like, can you really survive with him out there? Yeah, I have a lot of Michael Porter Jr. defense notes from this game. And the thing is, when we, when we note defense, it's not always just, like, one-on-one defense. It's, like, a lot of – has to do with, like, helps. Like, there, defense. like there was a – I think – I want to say it was in, like, the third quarter where there was a possession where – Rondo drove right out of like a an Anthony Davis pick, lobbed it up to Dwight, and my and Porter Jr. wasn't there on the weak side to cut off Dwight's access to the rim. On the very next possession, Porter Jr. cuts off that drive for Howard. Like they kind of run the same action where Anthony Davis sets a pick, Rondo drives to the rim, and Rondo has like if if it wasn't for Porter Jr., he could have lobbed it. Like Porter Jr. cutting off Dwight's access to the rim. But then when Rondo flicks it over to the weak side and Porter Jr. like left his man to guard Dwight, he kind of just watches the ball. And he's like, oh, wait, that's my man. <laughs> that, that pass is going to my man. And got then just like ball watching. Got caught ball watching. And then three po- uh, to, uh, to quote Mark Jackson, three ball, corner pocket. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like – but it's, they have to live with that because the scoring – it really – with the Nuggets, it's like, okay, Murray and Jokic have to be spectacular four games this series for them to win. It has to be four times where they're spectacular because after Murray and Jokic, it really is just piecing together points either from the free throw line, from smart offensive sets, or just people overperforming. And Porter is one of their main ways that they can just throw a guy out there and be like, he'll probably get a sixth to 12 points 
Because I think he did finish with 15 points in this game. But at the same time, he's going to sacrifice 6 to 12 or 15 points on the defensive end. So is it really a net positive? Not really, a lot of the time. But that's the risk. They're in a bad position. They're not, they're not – even the Lakers, who you could make the same criticisms of, of being way too reliant on two players. I still like the surrounding pieces around the Lakers. I trust them more than the Nuggets surrounding pieces. Did you know that KCP is shooting 54% from three since game? I'm glad one? you brought this up. KCP. He's been lights out. Everyone <laughs> loves the Turns out bullying works. <laughs> He's been unbelievable. He's been so engaged just overall in the, the shooting. LeBron always finds a way to unlock someone shooting, whether it's Booby Gibson in Cleveland, whether it's J.R. Smith in Cleveland the second time. Mike Miller in Miami. It's a KCP. He shot 3-5 in this game, too. Unbelievable. Been huge. That mm-hmm. literally is a redemption story. And I know we're going to get to Dozier, um, and we're going to talk about what he brought to the table positively, but his missed free throws sort of cost Denver the game. I think he missed four free throws. Yeah, he went – yeah, let's get into Dozier. So Dozier went one of five from the line just to – hit on Rory's point, but I, it was in the moment. It was, it was really shocking. Like every passing minute that went by in the fourth quarter, when I was watching this game in real time, I was like, PJ Dozier's on the floor. PJ Dozier's still on the floor. Does, does Michael Malone know this is PJ Dozier, not PJ Tucker? <laughs> I was, it was really confounding because PJ Dozier, he hasn't played significant minutes in this series. He played every one. I think he played in game one during the blowout, but he hasn't played significant minutes. Yeah. Gary really wasn't providing, like he was getting looks. And I, I think I alluded to a, like Gary Harris finished with three points. Like, Cause I remember I was like, wait, I didn't, I just reference Jokic passing it out to Harris for a three. Yeah. <laughs> so he, so he finished with the one three pointer, but I think he shot, like one of, he shot one of six from the field, one of three from three. He didn't have any points in the, I believe the second half or there was a, so Gary Harris was not playing well. Gary Harris was not having the best game of his career. And as much as Gary Harris can provide the Denver with something on the defensive end, I think Mike Malone just kind of read the situation was like, we kind of need something here because Gary just doesn't have it tonight. So they, he ended up playing P.J. Dozier the entirety of the fourth quarter, which that shocked me when I went into the box score and looked that up. It kind of felt like a 2K storyline. It's like when you're playing my career and it's like, hey, hey, hey rookie, it's your time. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> and fourth quarter. Of it was – they limited the MPJ. I think Porter Jr. only played like three minutes, which I, I haven't checked like Nuggets Reddit, Nuggets Twitter, but I want to assume – that a lot of people were kind of clamoring for him to play. And when I looked at PJ Dozier's stat line, it wasn't really anything that like his final stat line, it wasn't really anything that jumped off the page. It wasn't really anything that like captivated you, but it was like, Oh, he did a little something. I mean, in a one possession ball game that can swing the game. When I, when I rewatched the film though, I was pleasantly surprised at the impact that he had on both ends of the floor with about nine minutes left, he throws up a lob to Plumley. Plumley slams it. Hey, Plumley's doing some positive things. It's not just all doom and gloom in that last possession. Lobs it up to Plumley, and then the very next possession, he draws a foul or he draws a charge on Kuzma. He had the and one on Davis, and then he flex a little bit and and missed the free throw. He did go one of five from the line, and they almost got away with it just because it took the Anthony Davis shot at the very end. And but we see in these playoff games, those little moments, like when you don't hit your free throws, when you miss those easy opportunities, they come back to haunt you. It's very poetic in a way. Playoff basketball is just – it punishes you for missing your opportunities. When I got on Twitter, apparently a lot of people were getting on PJ Dozier for DMing someone instead of – they were like, stop DMing this girl and work on your free throws. It turned out to be like a fake thing where like this girl was like faking a DM. Oh, wow. NBA Twitter. To anybody that's just faking stuff, uh, stop. But <laughs> I do want to – I heard on the broadcast wow. that they referenced him 
as a good pick and roll ball handler. Or they said he's good in the pick ball and roll. handler. And when I heard that, I was like, what? I was like, what the hell is Reggie Miller talking about? But I went up and dug up an old quote. This is from January. It said, uh, this, is a, this is Coach Malone in regards to P.J. Dozier. He said, he's an exceptional pick and roll player. If you put P.J. Dozier in a pick and roll, something good is going to happen. Wow. And so given how much trust Coach Malone had in him in that fourth quarter, not necessarily a do or die game, but this was kind of, they, it kind of had that it feel of an elimination game, that sense of urgency. I think because of how many minutes he got in that fourth quarter, I am curious as to see how Coach Malone approaches that in game three and what yeah. that means for Michael Porter Jr.'s minutes and by extension, what that means for Gary Harris's minutes. I, I like him as – I just like what he brings to the table. I think he has a 6'11 wingspan. So he can be an impact player on the defensive end with that length, and he's pretty athletic. And if he's great in the pick and roll, they're such a pick and roll heavy team that really plays into the Nuggets' strengths. Just got to run that Plumley Dozier pick and roll to death. Run, that, way, run that off the like, bench. In a way, it's like, man, why, was, why is Gary Harris playing over him when – Gary Harris doesn't bring any of that, but Gary Harris is just an exceptional on-ball defender, perimeter defender, which they need in this series. But I almost feel like that was more important in the Clippers series where against the Lakers, you can almost be more impactful with someone like a Dozier out there because the Lakers guards aren't that great. It's really LeBron, Davis, and a lot of mid-range, a lot of shots around the basket, that's where that's going to play into Dozier's strengths. And, like, Gary Harris isn't going to bring as much to the table in that sort of matchup. And that's the thing about the playoffs. You have to change your rotations and your philosophies based on the matchups a lot of the times, right? It's like uh, when the Warriors played the Grizzlies, it's like, Bogut, you're literally not going to leave – the basket because we don't even respect Tony Allen at all. We are literally going to tell him to shoot every time. And then once they're playing someone with a viable big man, you know, Bogut's not acting in the same way, but you just, it's about the matchup. So maybe, I don't know what you think, but I think Dozier might make more sense for them in this sort of, when you look at the roster, the Lakers and their strengths. Yeah, I don't think Gary Harris plays as badly as he did in game two. I think Gary Harris is going to continue to start and be a big part of this rotation. If anyone, I think Michael Porter Jr. is going to be the one. If Mike Malone does want to really go all in, not necessarily all in, but if he does want to embrace P.J. Dozier. Do you think they get enough scoring, though? If they go, if you take out Porter Jr. for Dozier and Harris, who both aren't, you know, scores. Uh, I mean, they, they're going to bring stuff to the defensive end and maybe you survive, but I'm. it's tough to leave that potential scoring ability on the bench as well for Denver. Well, I don't think, I don't think MPJs, I don't think any of them are like getting thrown out of the rotation. I think it's just going to no. be a matter. No, I know what you're saying though, especially down the stretch, right? This is that question too. Like he played the whole fourth quarter. Playoffs is like, who's your crunch time lineup? Do you think they play Harris and Dozier in crunch time? Or do they go I Dozier feel like it's going to be just Harris? by feel. Just kind of in that flow right. of the game. Like if Gary Harris has 15 points and he's maybe made like yeah. four of seven threes, I don't think they're sitting him in the fourth quarter. I think it was just a matter of circumstance. But even with that matter of circumstance, that does lead me to believe that like if you're playing this man the entire fourth, you must see something and you must have some confidence in him going forward. I just think he's good. He, with that 6'11 wingspan, that's really helpful for their defense. I think anything is helpful for their defense not named Michael Porter Jr. <laughs> <laughs> the last well, point that I want to Literally, you're subbed in for defense, and then you do that. You screen yourself. What the hell? But, I mean, on, on that uh, point, on, on to that point, the last point that I want to hit on is that the feeling that I've had just – in the 24-ish hours since that game has happened, is that this was the game, this was the game 
that Denver needed to win because you can't expect LeBron to be that bad in the second half again. And you can't expect the Lakers to turn it over 23 times again. Are you about to make a guarantee? I'm not making a guarantee. I'm just saying like, if, if there was a game that the Nuggets needed to win based on how the game went down, you want to split the first two. That was the one. No, this is playing exactly into the Nuggets hands. They want that to be down three, (laughs) one. It's a trap. It's so if the so if the if the Lakers win or if the Lakers that's lose the worst thing they if the Lakers do. lose game three, do they just rest everyone game four? You know, that's what I would do. If I'm the Lakers, I throw I would have thrown that game. So it's one one. And then we don't have to worry about this three one nonsense. The thing with this game and just the overarching feeling that I have is I feel like there's definitely that potential for it to be like so like mentally crushing, emotionally crushing that it's like that it can turn the tides into like what direction this series could have taken. If the Nuggets win game two. Well, we saw with Boston, they lost by a buzzer beater and came back to win the series. So you can come back from this emotional anguish. Was that a game two as well? That, that was, was a game, game three. three. Yeah. Man, that really changed that series. Could have been up 3 0 to go seven games instead. But yeah, I never want to say with the Nuggets, like they're like cockroaches in the nuclear warfare. Yeah, I never die. I'm sorry, there's no way. Like, of course, the Lakers should win the series and they're a better team. But again, it's 2020. Who who knows? The only if you're betting on the prop what should happen then you have not been following this year this year is about the unexpected and the randomness the only normal thing that's happened in this entire year well it's yet to happen but i mean i don't want to guarantee that it's going to happen but it's probably going to happen is the seattle mariners missing the playoffs it's probably like the only guaranteed thing plus you got like if you if you go to like the nhl like the tampa bay i haven't been keeping up with like the Stanley cup finals, but like the Tampa Bay lightning might win the finals after blowing, after getting swept after the most hockey big- justice. This is like, this is the rarest. Form of hockey point. This is so hockey talk right here. Oh my God. You All I know is like a Vander Kane. That's Whoa. pretty, Whoa. That's, that's pretty much it. I know him because he played on the sharks. If you named sharks, I would know them, but like, I can't name, I know that they had the one they traded for that one defensive guy. I feel like if I just made up a Eastern European name and you'd, you'd be like, yeah, that's a hockey player. You could just start naming off characters from Grand Theft Auto 4 and see. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like a, a Titus and Tate skit. Um, it, it, they, yeah. I think they did one that was like NASCAR driver or college basketball coach. <laughs> Grand Theft Auto 4 character yeah. or hockey player. Oh my God. That is. I mean, Nikola Jokic sounds like he could be a hockey player, right? There you go. I'm just saying. Do the – what's the name of the – what's the hockey team in Denver? Or call, the Colorado, Colorado Avalanche. Avalanche. Yeah. The Avalanche need a goal. Look hockey knowledge. <laughs> I hope there's a Venn diagram of NBA and NHL fans out there somewhere. Do, do the – the Avalanche need a, goal, a goalkeeper, a goal – is that what they're called? Yeah, goalkeeper. Because if, if you is need someone, you just, all you gotta have is Jokic just like lying down, just like, like have yeah. him lying down and occasionally like just move in the mid. That's all you need. Yeah. I mean, Mason Plumley moved like a hockey player on that last. I knew he was gonna get in one last jab. <laughs> I knew what are to- you doing? What are you doing? Literally should have kicked him off That's the right. team. Like actually, just like you're out of the bubble. Like, just send them out on a catapult out of the bubble. It's like how Jamal Murray was telling no one to pack their bags, but he was telling his, like, okay. He's like, actually, Plumlee? Yeah, get the hell out of here. What do you think Paul Millsap? Do you think a part of him was like, yeah, that's right. That's what happens when you send me out. That's what I mean, coach. I mean, Millsap was saying that he, he was trying to duck the smoke with LeBron, so I don't know about all that. He, he, said, I, he said I left the Eastern Conference, so I wouldn't have to. Oh, that's true. He did say that. He did say that. You know, but, I'm looking at the roster to see if there's any hockey names here. I think Paul Millsap is, like, a really strong defenseman for, like, you know, the Edmonton Oilers or something. 
feel like Gary Harris has got an overpaid forward for Denver. I feel like Alex Caruso has definitely got to be in there. Wow. That's a good hockey name. No, actually, we're missing the best one, Taylor Horton Tucker. Oh, that's my God. That's the best God. hockey name right there. I'm, well, that sounds like a brand, you know, like a mm. suit menswear brand or something. <laughs> Meundies and Bavas dropped the bag. They, they dropped the bag. So this is going to go up before game three. Let's get some predictions here. We usually don't do predictions. Game three. Give me a score. Give me a win. I got the Nuggets winning 112-105. Whoa, okay. I just – I don't there, – there's something – I feel like Jokic is going to get at least 35. I feel like Jamal's going to get 27. I have Lakers winning 104-95. And everyone's talking about we're about to get swept and then the Nuggets come back. And win, and win in seven. Win four in a row. But to see if those predictions come true, to see exactly how far off base me and Rory are with that game three prediction, tune in next time. Off base like Plumlee. <laughs> Davis. Justice Zillow Santos, Rory O'Toole, the Massimo Moxie, Splash Considerations Podcast. Until next time, y'all. What are you doing?